Good evening. By the looks of the picture on the screen, you might be thinking we're having a lesson on the Philadelphia Eagles football team. Uh, But I I assure you that's not going to be the case. But uh, as some of you may know, today sort of marks the the week of the, the new NFL season. Um, uh, the first week of the NFL begins today. But again, this lesson is not about the, the Philadelphia Eagles, but it's in fact about the church of Philadelphia that we find in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. But we all know that uh, you know, all professional sports have their own off-seasons. Off-seasons are a very important time for teams. It's a time for rest and relaxation for a couple of months for the players uh, before they get back at it, get back at it training. But, you know, the corporate offices, they don't uh, really rest at that time because they're busy trading players and drafting new ones during the offseason. But again, after a few months, the players, uh, you know, they start their regiment once again and they're getting ready to train for the next season. Uh, The beginning of a new season, of course, is filled with hopes and championships and aspirations. You know, again, there's not much adversity at that time. Uh, Coaches and players are yet to be placed on the chopping block, uh, being cut. There's really no injuries to report. But again, in order to have a successful season in any sport, you know, teams, they still have to get ready during an off season. They still have to train. Well, if you're looking in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we often uh, know that in these chapters, Uh, Jesus, through the Apostle John, is speaking to seven churches of Asia, and he's got a message for all seven of these churches. Uh, He's got some good things to tell them, and he's got some bad things to tell them. If you remember, uh, he begins with the church of Ephesus, and you know he tells them, you know, you've left your first love. You you really you've got to get back to that. You need to repent and come back. Uh, to the church in Pergamum, he tells them that they're, follow, they're, they're tolerating false teachers, and again, they need to repent of that. Uh, the church in Thyatira, he tells them that there's immorality being committed within the congregation there, and they need to repent and turn. Uh, the church in Sardis, he says, you guys are dead. You need to wake up, spiritually wake up. And the church in Laodicea, of course, is the church that he tells them that, you know, you're lukewarm. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm... Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. But of those five churches that I mentioned, there were uh, another two uh, that did not receive any condemnation. Uh, The church in Philadelphia and the church in Smyrna, they they had no marks against them. Uh, Jesus had nothing bad to say about them. So, you know, it was probably a good time for them during uh, that uh, time to be a member of that congregation. You know, things were going okay. Uh, But Jesus didn't move on from them uh, without at least uh, speaking a few things about giving them a few tips or or pointers. And so he told them, uh, in essence, that you need some additional training. Let's read Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, and notice some things about this church again in Philadelphia. John writes, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. 
Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, we notice as we read through uh, that description of that church is, you know, really Jesus didn't have anything uh, Wrong to tell them. Uh, he didn't have to tell them that they had lost their first love or that they were being lukewarm Christians, but he, he gives them some things to work on. You know, just like a football team needs to stay fit in the off season or the armed forces need to stay alert during peacetime, churches today, we need to be constantly being diligent, studying the word of God and meditating upon God's word so that when times of trouble come, we will be ready. Uh, we must not grow comfortable during, you know, again, favorable times, but continue training. Uh, we must be ready, even in the off season. Uh, these things happen, you know, a sudden death within a congregation, a natural uh, disaster that we've seen, uh, you know, in Tennessee and Louisiana and such places recently. You know, some just walk away from the church and we don't know what to do. And again, these things uh, happen at a moment's notice. And so what instructions did the Lord have for this church uh, with no criticism? And again, we want to notice uh, a couple of these points uh, this evening. So the first one is in verse 8. Uh, Jesus says, you have opportunity. Again, look at verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, I used to own a vehicle uh, back in Michigan that uh, it had door problems. Uh, you know, I'd be driving down the highway and the door would seem to unlatch a couple of times. I know the, the passenger side door, we had to fix the handle on it uh, two or three different times. It had problems. Uh, but here, uh, Jesus says that God set before you an open door. And this is a good thing. Okay, this isn't like my car with the door uh, opening up while I'm driving down the road. But this is a good thing. And the figure of an open door, uh, typically throughout Scripture, is referring to something, uh, something good, uh, something special, a special opportunity, especially when it's spreading the gospel. Uh, when, when Paul came back from the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, he said uh, that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, he said, A wide door for effective service has opened up to me. You know, he was having great success in Ephesus, and he wanted to stay there because that door had been opened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he was speaking about his visit in Troas. And he said, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened uh, for me in the Lord, you know, I took advantage of that. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he said, uh, he, he told the Colossians, uh, the church there in Colossae, to pray that God will open a door for the word, for the word of God. He said, pray that God will open a door. You know, a church does not have to be large or to be true or approved uh, by God. The church in Philadelphia, we believe, was quite small, actually. Again, uh, he says there, because you have a little power, uh, but God expected them to keep busy. He, he gave them this open door to continue on, to continue uh, evangelizing. 
You know, not all churches, you know, have million dollar budgets or five to seven preachers on staff. And so what can we do? What can you and I do here uh, in Columbia? Well, we, we can pray for opportunities. Again, uh, Colossians chapter four, verse three. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter nine, verses 37 and 38, you know, the harvest is plentiful, uh, but the workers are few. And then he says, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Right? We, can, we can pray for those opportunities to go out and to search. We can look for opportunities as well. You know, every time Jesus or Paul came into a different city, you know, where was one of the first places they would go? They would go to the synagogue because they know that there were religious minded individuals there and they could teach them and show them the, the scriptures more accurately. Or we can also go for opportunities. Uh, again, Matthew chapter 16, or excuse me, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Great Commission, and go into all the world and preach the gospel to all uh, creation. You're, you're familiar with the, the parable of the talents, right? In Matthew chapter uh, 25, you know, this, this man, he entrusted uh, his, his servants with, these, with talents, you know, the, the, this form of currency, and he gave one man five, and he gave another man two, and he gave another man just one. And what these talents really represent for us today are, are opportunities. Uh, and he gave each man according to his ability. So the five-talent man, uh, he, was, he had the opportunity and the ability to take care of five talents, and the two-talent man, two man as well, and the one-talent man. But remember when the owner came back uh, to, to see his servants, to see what they had done with their talents, remember the five-talent man, he doubled his uh, the two-talent man, he, he doubled his as well. But the one-talent man, he went and hid his talent in the ground. Uh, he, he was afraid to lose that talent. He was afraid to invest in it, uh, to use that opportunity. And so he went and he hid it into the ground. And, of course, his master was extremely angry at that. You know, the first two, he said, you are good and faithful uh, servants of mine. You go and enjoy the, the reward of your master. But to that last one-talent man... He called him worthless, right? Because this man was scared. He was scared to use his opportunity. Let me ask you this question. Has God opened doors for you? Has he opened doors for you in this life uh, to evangelize, uh, to, to uh, share the gospel message with somebody? You know, we can pray for those opportunities. Uh, we should pray for them. But I think a lot of times, especially uh, maybe in my mind, uh, I think a lot of us, including myself, maybe we are scared uh, to do those things, just like the one talent man, because we know that God will deliver. We know that God answers prayers. Uh, but you still have one talent. If you're a one talent man, you still have that one talent. You can still use that one talent for good. You know, the goal uh, of every congregation of the Lord should be one more for Christ. Right? If we were a congregation of 20, we should be striving to be a congregation of 21. If we're a congregation of 200, we should be striving to be a congregation of 201. Right? It should always be one more for Christ. And so we need to use our opportunities and accept the challenge. Right? Uh, this open door that God has placed before the church in Philadelphia, he's placed that in front of us as well. And someone once said, you know, while we pray and wait for God to open that doorway, we should also praise him in the hallway. Okay, and so we, we have uh, opportunity. They had opportunity. Uh, notice also the church in Philadelphia, they had opposition. Again, verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. 
I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. You know, so possibly at this church here in Philadelphia, uh, there were those who said that they were Jews, but they were lying. Uh, And Jesus, again, he calls them the synagogue of Satan. Uh, Jesus used this term earlier to describe a group in the church in Smyrna as well. But most likely this is referring to a group of Jews either inside the church or outside the church professing to be Christians who, who still are just rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, as the, the Savior. And therefore, they were doing Satan's work. You know, churches always have had opposition uh, from the outside, uh, but the opposition from within, I think we can say, does the most damage. You know, a lot of things are destroyed due to internal struggles rather than external forces. Um, turn with me to the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, and let's notice a few things here uh, in this great book in, of one of the major prophets, uh, Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we, we recall this account when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has this great dream of this great statue, remember? And so he wants to know what this statue meant, uh, what this uh, represented in this dream that he had. And so Daniel ca- comes in and describes to him what this is. And he tells him that uh, the, the head is made of gold and it represents Babylon. It represents your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. And then he tells him that the arms and the breast of the statue rep- are the, made of silver, they represent the Medo-Persians. So it's going to be another a nation that comes after you. And then after them is going to be this nation of bronze, uh, the belly and the thigh. And this is going to be uh, the Greek Empire, and then, the, and then after that, it's going to be the Roman Empire. Notice how the Bible describes the Roman Empire in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 40. So Daniel records, Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partially of potter's clay and partially of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partially of iron and partially of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seat of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. And so we see the empire of Rome, the Roman Empire being described as strong as iron uh, as in its legs, but it, its feet going to be mixed uh, with iron and common clay. And part of it's going to be strong, but again, part of it's going to be brittle. Those two things, they don't combine. They don't ad- adhere well. And so uh, the people will be a mixture and will not remain united. And of course, uh, if we were to study a Roman history, not that we have the time this evening to do that, uh, we know that that's partially or majorly why the Roman Empire fell. It fell because of what happened internally. Uh, the internal strife, the economic troubles, uh, the, the political instability that went on, the thirst for power that, that they had uh, within that um, nation. And so when we think about the church, again, we need to think uh, about always being careful about internal strife within the church. And often I think of in the book of Third John. In Third John, 
John is writing this commendation letter to this man by the name of Gaius, and he's telling him, uh, he tells him over and over that he's a, uh, he's a beloved individual. Uh, he, he loves this man, uh, Gaius, and the great things that he's doing in this church. But a lot of times we remember this letter not because of Gaius, but because of this man by the name of Diotrephes. And notice what John says about this man, starting in verse 9 of 3 John. He says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So Diotrephes, this man that's in this congregation, you know, we don't know if he was an elder or the preacher there, but he loved to have preeminence. He wanted the power in this congregation. He wanted to be first among them. He accuses the Apostle John of deeds and words of wickedness. He refused to accept these missionaries who came into the area to set up and build up congregations there. And he was disfellowshipping members who weren't uh, going his way. And so, uh, again, he held some sort of sway, some sort of um, influence within this congregation. We don't really know. Uh, But John says, you know, when I come, I'm going to have to deal with this individual uh, personally. And again, we should ask ourselves time to time. You know, are, are we dealing uh, like a diatrophies? Are, are we acting like a diatrophies? Are we holding other individuals back within uh, our congregation? Are we looking to serve or are we looking to be served? Notice with me in Ephesians chapter 4 as we conclude this point. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul lays out some of the great truths about unity within the scripture. And, you know, and he starts in verse four, you know, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all, you know, those seven pillars of unity. But notice, go back up to verse one and let's see what he says there, because we often forget about this aspect of unity. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Notice this in verse three, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We are to be diligent actively uh, searching to be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, again, faithful Christians will not participate in a synagogue of Satan, uh, as John put in the book of Revelation, but rather will work to keep that unity from within. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 133, verse 1, it is good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. It's not just good. It's not just pleasant, but it is good and pleasant. So not when... uh, uh, when tough, when times are tough, or, or but all times, even in the off season, uh, we need uh, to be unified as brethren. And finally, let's notice one more point here in Revelation chapter three, uh, verse ten, uh, that not only they had opportunity uh, in the off season, not only did they had opposition uh, to be careful about, but they also uh, obeyed. Again, verse ten, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. 
I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. See, they have been persecuted in the past and, uh, you know, worse trials are going to await them. Uh, To the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2 verse 10, he told them some of them would be cast into prison by the devil and that they were going to be tested and there's going to be tribulation for for 10 days. But here in the church in Philadelphia, he says, because you have kept his word and perseverance, that he would keep them. He would keep them away from that hour of testing. And notice that the persecution is to come upon the whole world. Uh, The Roman Empire, again, is the likely source of this primary concern. But again, think about this. I want you to think about this this evening, is even though Christ knew his people uh, go through intense persecution, you know, he didn't send a legion of angels. You know, he didn't send 10,000 angels to come and save them from it. He knew it was coming and he did nothing to stop it. Uh, But remember, again, we're talking about the church in Philadelphia. If Christ would not spare them a persecution, who will he exempt? And wouldn't this be a time that a lot of them would be giving up on Christ or trying alternative measures? You know, let's try it my way. There, there was a story of a man uh, who, who would walk the streets of Philadelphia. I know this is um, kind of ironic, but uh, Philadelphia of the United States, of Pennsylvania, he walked the streets of Philadelphia searching for employment. And so one day he went into the office of this well-known businessman by the name of Mr. Gerard, and he says, Mr. Gerard, uh, yes, um, uh, do you have any work for me? And Mr. Gerard says, yes, uh, in fact, I do have some work for you. Do you see this pile of bricks out there? What I want you to do is, is move them from this side of my yard all the way to over that side of the yard, and I want you to stack them up. And so uh, the man worked all day stacking those bricks on the other side of the yard, and by nightfall, uh, he was done with the project, and he comes in to Mr. Gerard, and he wants to know, uh, is there work for me tomorrow? And he said, yes, yes. Uh, first thing in the morning, I want you to come, and I want you to take those bricks that you stacked over there, and I want you to walk them all the way back to the other side, and then I want you to stack them up. And so he did this for a good long week. Day after day, he came and worked for Mr. Gerard, and he'd take the bricks from one end of the yard and to put them up on the other end of the yard. And he did this again for a solid week. But then uh, he was given a promotion. He was given a bigger and better position. And so uh, he, he did this, Mr. Gerard did this, so that he could find out if this man was a trustworthy and faithful employee. And so uh, the next day he was given a new promotion. He went down to the, the auction house and he was told to uh, bid on some sugar uh, that, that was being sold. And the auction house uh, accepted the man's bid and they asked him, well, who's paying the bill? They, they'd never seen this man before. And he said, Mr. Gerard. And so the man replied, again, I'm his new agent. And so we, we noticed that within uh, th- this illustration here of this man, uh, that, that he worked hard uh, each and every day. He obeyed his, his employer's commands each and every day. And because of that, he was rewarded uh, with a bigger and better position within uh, the man's company. No matter who we are or what situation we are in, obedience to God must be kept at all times. And whether we're going through persecution or not, whether it's in the off season or in the in season, whether it's in menial tasks like moving bricks from one side to the other or tasks of more importance. See, the Philadelphia church, even in their off season, they kept the word of God and they persevered. Again, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. 
And they were greatly rewarded for it. So uh, as we conclude this lesson, you know, uh, the famous line uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that Paul says, remember, he said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You know, a church that is comfortable in the world and that knows nothing of tribulation, we know is doomed to fail. It's doomed to destruction. Now, although the church in Philadelphia was in its off season, they were still urged to use your opportunity to further the kingdom. I'm going to open doors for you, and you need to use those opportunities to evangelize. They were told to beware of the opposition. Be on the alert for those things, and also to stay obedient. You persevered, keep persevering this church in Philadelphia. You know, every um, believer, we're told in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, is to put on the full armor of God, or the panoply of God. Uh, we're not supposed to just lay down you know, a couple of pieces of equipment from time to time or only put it on uh, when we go to church, but we are to wear the full armor of God at all times and skillfully wield the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As uh, John said in Revelation 3, verse 13, through the words of Jesus, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And may we remember this great example of, of this great little church in Philadelphia and the great things that they had done. This evening, as we offer the invitation, uh, if anyone here uh, has not obeyed the gospel, uh, we, we urge you at this time, we, we beg you at this time to uh, consider uh, obeying the gospel. As we pointed out in this morning's lesson of Cornelius was a man, uh, when he heard those great words that, that saved by the word, mouth of Peter, that, that he heard the words uh, of God, that he believed that Jesus was the Christ, con- that he repented of his sins, confessed Jesus as Lord, and was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. And we would love nothing better than to help you as you begin your walk for Christ here tonight. Or maybe you are a Christian here, but you're struggling in this life. And maybe, maybe you see the example of the church here in Philadelphia and think, maybe, maybe I'm a little indifferent. Maybe I'm a little complacent in my Christianity and I need the, uh, the spiritual uh, uh, upheaval of here this, this evening to, to help you again in your walk with Christ. If we can help you again in any way, we'd ask that you come forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.